Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. Today, my guest is Melvin Rhodes, who has served for decades in the Worldwide Church of God and then in the United Church of God. He hails from the United Kingdom and has served congregations in the United Kingdom, Zimbabwe, which formerly was Rhodesia, and Ghana, as well as the United States. He is now retired, as I am. Welcome to our podcast, Melvin. Thank you. And we're so glad to have you here and join us on this podcast. Melvin has written countless articles for various publications. He's an excellent writer and now maintains an active blog. And I will have the location of that blog in the notes with this podcast. We know each other best by the fact that we share four grandchildren. So that makes us very, very close and part of family. What we'd like to talk to you today, though, is about an article that is in the current issue of the Beyond Today magazine. Melvin has written an article entitled, The Servant Queen, 70 Years of Elizabeth II. I'd like to discuss this remarkable event, this celebration. Much of it was on last Thursday, but maybe he can tell us more. I understand it was four days long. But it's the 70th year of the reign of Queen Elizabeth And she has been part of my life, even though I'm an American. I still recall stamps from England that had the Queen Elizabeth's insignia on them, and that's still the same stamp as we are now. Also, it's a stamp also of Canada, Australia, and many other countries. I went to Ambassador College in the United Kingdom back in 1968 and 69, and I have recollections of the Queen's image being everywhere. She was always the Queen and still is the Queen. I have talked to friends back in the United Kingdom who, when I was talking to them last week, they said they're all celebrating on last Thursday night having Queen Elizabeth celebration parties. So it's a big thing in that country. And even though this jubilee may not be as big a thing for Americans, those who have an international spirit or are knowledgeable of that it's very, very important. So I also saw summaries on Sky News. That's a channel that I watch from the United Kingdom. I enjoy watching news that has a different spin to it or a different flavor or culture to it. And there's always a lot about the monarchy. The monarchy in the United Kingdom has been unlike any other in the world. It has a worldwide presence. There's no other monarchy that has that respect, and especially the monarchy of this current House of Windsor. It's a lengthy monarchy, and our questions about it, of its relevance, of you know what value is it. So anyway, I've probably said too much here to introduce this, but I would like to go on to Melvin. Melvin, I really like to talk to you about the British monarchy and about the article that you have written. Uh, First of all, tell us uh, why you wrote the article. I'm sure that it was timely, but I know that since you are from the United Kingdom, from the town of Grimsby up in the North Country, or the northern part of England, that uh, this was very special to you. Uh, What is the mystique of the British monarchy? Uh, Well, I should should say that uh, I was born one year almost to the day before the Queen ascended the throne. So uh, I'm 71 now. So in seven, over the last 70 years, she's been all I've known. Uh, she's always been there and, you know, watching her on television, watching her on the news, wherever, she's always been there. And uh, what is the mystique? 
I don't know. I ask myself that quite often because there were lots of other countries with royal families, uh, all the Scandinavian countries, uh, the Benelux countries, Spain. But the British monarchy seems to have a special, a specialness about it, which separates it from the others. It's far more important. It's a monarchy on a global scale. And I don't think any other country in Europe has ever done anything like the Jubilee last, uh, last week. She's had 70 years on the throne. To be exact, February the 6th was 70 years. So she's now in her 71st year. And uh, there's only one monarch in the whole of Europe who's had longer than that. And that was Louis XIV of France. He was supposed to be France's greatest king. But Louis XIV became king when he was only five. And the first 13 years until he was 18, the country was under regency, mm -hmm. even though he was still technically king. So therefore, Elizabeth II really has been a monarch longer than Louis XIV. And this is just unprecedented, 70 years on the throne. And what is also unprecedented is that in all the polls that are taken, uh, the approval rating for the job she does is always at least 69%, mm -hmm. which would be the envy of every politician in America. But she is well-liked, and I think as she gets older, because she's, uh, she's everybody's favorite grandmother, that's what it comes down to. Well, she's very, very highly respected, and it, that respect seems to be very, very sincere. When a new prime minister is selected, voted in in the United Kingdom, he goes to the Queen, you know, for permission to reign. You know, I, I know it's ceremonial and all, but it's still wonderful to watch that type of respect. And being a woman, and uh, having that length of rule, plus the character of the woman, I, I've seen many documentaries about Queen Elizabeth. She truly is one who has been very, very faithful to the office that she has held. That has been very important to her in all the tragedies that she's had in her life. One thing that I should mention there is, I only found out this recently, was that if you add up all the prime ministers who have served under her, in all the different countries that she's queen of, she's had 179 prime ministers uh, in 70 years. 179. So she's probably the, the, the most knowledgeable person on the problems in the world and the solutions than anybody else. Well, she certainly is uh, has a lot of variety. One of our members who was, who is a nurse in uh, Malawi, and she studied in the United Kingdom. Her husband studied in France. He has uh, died since, the Chilaporas. But Esther Chilapora, when she was studying in England, she uh, was invited to a kind of a garden party, you know, where they had for the nurses. And Queen Elizabeth came. And she keeps talking about that all the time. That was one of the biggest highlights of her, li of her life. It was so, so important. Yes. You can hear that from lots of different people. I think, you know, everybody remembers the day they met the Queen. Mm -hmm. I, I've never met her, so I can't comment on that. But I still remember at the age of seven when she came to our town. Uh, it just has stayed in my memory. I remember the crowds. 
quite deep crowds on both sides of the, of the road as she came by in her car. I have no idea what she was doing there. And at seven years old, I prob- probably wouldn't have understood it anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, she was there. Well, probably it's a little bit like the Pope. <laughs> I have been, I have visited in the Philippines the same week that the Pope was there. And I know that I mean, yeah. the whole country was, you know, whatever, whatever faith they were, you know, it was the Pope, you know, it was uh, somebody important. And there's something about that, even though these people may not have power, but they do have a certain, I'm not sure what, what to call it, a desire in people to look to someone to be a leader. And while they may not be the one in power to lead, in fact, it so happens that oftentimes the thugs and the unscrupulous people, the people lacking integrity, are the ones who rise to power as they step over others. But I do believe that there is a desire in people to look up to someone who can rule and to lead. And I believe that because of Queen Elizabeth's character that has been publicly shown, I mean, nobody ever complains about anything about any lapses in character. Yeah, it's... uh... Um, that's very much the case. But, you know, I think there is a hesitancy about the future uh, because not all of those values have been passed on. Hopefully they will be, and hopefully there'll be no change. Well, Queen is now, you know, 96 years old. I mean, it's self-evident that she will not be there many more years. And, you know, people are already calculating and discussing what, what to do. Do you believe that there will be a change as to how people look to the monarchy? Since I don't believe there's anybody who is a person who really could fill her shoes at this point in in any manner. Well, if there is a change, it'll be the fault of the monarchy, really, because Elizabeth II has left uh, most people respecting the monarchy, looking up to the monarchy. Uh, She never seems to put her foot wrong. Whether her son, Prince Charles, when he becomes king, whether he continues in her footsteps is up to him. And then when her grandson, Prince William, in turn becomes king, uh, it will be up to him too. If they have learned from Elizabeth II the importance of service and duty, you know, if they if they live in accordance with that, then I think it'll be all right because I don't think anybody's in a rush to make any great change. Well, I, I, I do, you know, agree with that. Uh, I know that the monarchy right now that her family has caused maybe because they've been around so long you know and because she's outlived she says she's outlived years that they could have been on the throne that they have made serious mistakes of character and disrespect and even though I believe the monarchy is still held together by Queen Elizabeth and there are people who follow the royals you know there's a whole seems to be a grouping and a clan of people who like to follow the royals uh, I wonder what it will be like after this but maybe you could tell us uh, uh, Mel about uh, what possibilities there are. There's some strange connections. The Queen, you say, wants Camilla, the Duchess of Cornwall, the wife of Prince Charles, to be the Queen. And I don't understand that. Maybe you can explain that to us. Frankly, I was rather surprised when she made that announcement. Queen Elizabeth is a reigning monarch. It's important for everybody to understand that you must be born into that role. You cannot marry into that role. You cannot become king except through birth. Now, when a king is married, 
his wife automatically has the title of queen, but she is a queen consort. She is there just to help him, mm-hmm. just like a husband help, helps a wife or a wife helps a husband. Uh, so she will not have the same powers as Elizabeth II. In fact, she won't have any power at all constitutionally. Charles will be king, and then after him will come Prince William, all being well, mm-hmm. and he will also be king. I think the fact is Charles is not as popular as his mother or his son. But I think it's a good thing that he is so old already that he won't live very long. He's 73. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when William takes over, you know, you're looking at 30 or 40 years with King William in, in power. And I think William, uh, a lot will rest on his shoulders. Is uh, there some? There are questions about the wealth of the monarchy and uh, private wealth with the yachts and everything else. Of course, that should be understood. But is there anything abnormal about the wealth of the monarchy? There was, but there isn't anymore. For most of her reign, uh, she was able to take advantage of a settlement that was made in 1714. 1714 is the year that the present dynasty took over. And it was so hard for the British to find somebody who would be king that they had to promise the new king that he would never be taxed. Mm-hmm. And that continued right up until uh, a few years ago. Now the queen is taxed like everybody else. And if you look at every year, the Sunday Times newspaper gives a list of the 500 people who are the wealthiest in Britain. She is not in that list. Mm. Mm-hmm. So she is not fabulously wealthy. She's got more money than you or I, but she's not She's not fabulously wealthy. Mm-hmm. And there's some things that have worked to her advantage. For example, there is an art gallery called the Queen's Gallery just around the corner from Buckingham Palace. If you can ever go there, it's worth the visit because every year the paintings are changed and they will never, and no painting will ever appear twice in her lifetime. That's how many paintings she's got. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about Rembrandts oh. and uh, Picassos, etc. That's why I say it's worth the visit. So that's one side uh, that has made her very wealthy. Uh, also, I think her grandfather, King George V, had a stamp collection, which is also now worth a great deal of money. And then, of course, her income, which is... It's comfortable, but it's not excessive. There's a lot of people who would be richer than her. Mm-hmm. There was a, a four-day festival that was held uh, last week. It was really quite a gala. There were a lot of people there in, in central London. You know, who paid for this four-day festival, and what could it possibly cost? Well, I, let me take you back to the wedding of uh, Prince Harry and Meghan. The Queen paid for the cost of the wedding but security was paid for by the British taxpayer and the cost was over $30 million. Mm. Just one day security for one person's wedding. This may become an issue because every time you have a big celebration, today's world being what it is, you have lots of police involved and a lot of money is involved. But as far as the actual functioning of the monarchy, she pays for all that herself. So I would assume last weekend was the same. She paid for the events 
that she would be responsible for. The security was taken care of by the Metropolitan Police. The Queen is uh, still the Queen of 15 different countries, is that correct? And, And the head of the Commonwealth? I believe it is now 15 countries. Basically, the reason for this is because as countries got independence during the last 70 years, you know, the British Empire was dismantled. And as each country got its independence, they could choose. They could continue to live under the monarchy, under the throne, or they could become a republic. So a nation like Zambia, for example, became a republic. But a lot of the nations in the Caribbean decided to retain the monarchy. So Queen Elizabeth is their head of state as well. That doesn't mean she interferes in local politics. The crown is an institution, and it's quite an incredible institution, really. And therefore, the crown does certain things which normally a president would do. But the advantage of being under the crown is it's so stable. You know, mm-hmm. that you could choose a republic, but then the president might get overthrown. He might get shot. But the queen is always there. So stability is very much a plus for a lot of these countries. Australia, New Zealand, and Canada are the three major Commonwealth realms, as they're called, countries that look to the Queen as their head of state. And I I expect that to continue at least for a while. Mm -hmm. Australia may change. I don't think anybody else will in the short term. Well, the thing that really struck me about the Commonwealth, maybe it's not related directly to the Queen, but when the Commonwealth was what it was in its heyday, Britain, the United Kingdom, was able to draft men in New Zealand and Australia for World War One and, and even World War Two. They were able to draft uh, people in Canada. Uh, I believe that uh, Newfoundland, you know, they talked about all these boys going over to serve. Uh, they, had, they had that power as uh, as uh, their right. Uh, what, what is it now? What's, what's happened to this great monolith? Uh, that does not exist anymore. It's not a military military alliance. I would doubt very much if the circumstances that existed in 1939, if they were repeated now, I don't think there is one country in the Commonwealth that would support Britain. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's very different now. Britain's on its own in that respect. And Britain's only got itself to blame because it turned its back on these Commonwealth countries when it joined the European community. It told Canada, Australia, New Zealand, you're on your own. Things have changed a lot in those countries. And now that they're out of the EU after Brexit, that relationship was never restored. I think they're trying to. There is a new military alliance between Australia, Britain, the U.S. You know, there's a, it made a big deal of this a few months ago. But I don't think it's ever going to be like it used to be. There was a time when the Commonwealth leaders would all get together every, once every few years, and they would decide on their policy as militarily, and they always acted in unison. I mean, in the 1950s, they were in Malaya fighting the communists. Uh, I've forgotten where else. I think Aden as well, and one or two other places. Well, I have, you know, Melvin, you know that I have worked in Malawi and Zambia, not so much in Zimbabwe where, where you did, but, you know, I was uh, uh, watched over the churches in Malawi and Zambia. And still to this very day, there is so much um, allegiance to British 
uh, everything, including the pronunciation of words, the spelling of words, uh, common law. You know, we had a court case that we uh, were involved in, and it was just interesting to see their system of justice and, and their attorneys and and judges as all being part of a British system that was so deeply etched into their culture. And it's always struck me how people so far away, whether it be India or be the regions in Africa, like the uh, south central part of Africa or East Africa, were under the, I would hate to say the word control, but it was a very wonderful control. It wasn't a very, very oppressive control. Uh, But these countries really benefited from the monarchy or, you know, at that time, just the whole British Commonwealth. And let me just add this, maybe if you can comment on this. You commented about this article, which I really advise everybody to read. It's just an excellent article about Queen Elizabeth I and Queen Elizabeth II. Queen Elizabeth I also was a long-reigning monarch who really brought Britain, the United Kingdom, England, Wales, Scotland, Ireland, really up to very, very high standard and into an empire. And under the second Queen Elizabeth, it seems like all that has been deteriorating and coming and and falling apart. Can you comment on these things? Yeah, in the time of the first Elizabeth, she she ruled. Uh, I mean, the, the government was nothing. It was basically the queen rules. Under the second Elizabeth, she is a constitutional monarch. So the decline in Britain, which has taken place, cannot really be laid at her feet because the British government dismantled the empire, uh, which had been built up over 400 years. And it was just dismantled without a second thought given to it because it was deemed progressive or whatever else term they wanted to use. So that's the difference. Queen Elizabeth II is a constitutional monarch. One other interesting thing I'd like you to comment on, uh, Melvin, is the values that uh, were held in the British Empire, mm-hmm. even though humanity, you know, all, all through the ages is not what you say has been stellar and hypocritical. On, on the other hand, people spoke up for God, the Bible, uh, spoke out for uh, national values, family, and the queen, when this is before she came, became a queen, I believe, when she was 21, who made statements about how she was going to serve God and make certain that God's ways and, and, and the Bible and everything would, would, would be upheld. And as you comment in the article, it seems doubtful that the next monarch would be held to those types of words. That's true. At the coronation in 1953, uh, I think Britain at that time was still a very religious society. Not everybody went to church. And so the queen was able to throw herself on the Bible, which is what she did, and promise to uphold the Bible as queen. And the British Empire was predominantly Protestant, and uh, they they did extend freedom to Catholics. Uh, But uh, it was predominantly a Protestant empire. And, uh, you know, the the values were based on the Protestant religion, Church of England, basically. And the Church of England now, I think, on the whole, has rejected most of the Bible. Mm -hmm. So it's very different now to what it was. 
well, it seems like nowhere can you really get anywhere with biblical things because uh, things in the Bible are actually banned from even being spoken of. Uh, we live in a very, very troubling time uh, right now. It's not just a matter of wars. It's a matter of the falling apart of the basic strands of what makes us human, uh, our um, identity, our sexuality, our a- everything. Well, I can remember growing up a very different England to what we have now. I mean, for example, in my school, I didn't know anybody who came from a divorce background. You know, divorce just wasn't done back then. And a lot of other things weren't done, which are now quite legal. Well, what would you say are some of the highlights of uh, the remarkable reign of Queen Elizabeth? What are some of the things that you feel were the things that she'll be remembered for the most? That's a good question. I think just the, the fact that she has always been so stable, so predictable, I think that's a very big point, too. People always knew what to expect. She did her duty as she was, to use a term, the servant queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the inspiration for her name, was the fact that Jesus Christ taught us all to be servants. Mm-hmm. And she took that literally. And she dedicated herself in a speech when she was 21, before she ever became queen. She dedicated herself to a lifelong career of, uh, of duty. Mm-hmm. And she has never given up on that. I mean, this is why, for example, often I get asked the question, when's the queen going to abdicate? Because at 96, she's not required to uh, to be acted anymore. And that's true. But she pledged that she would serve the country until death. Mm-hmm. So she won't abdicate. Aside from that, abdication in England has a, uh, a bad connotation because her uncle, uh, Edward VIII, gave up the throne to marry a divorced woman. And that was scandalous back in those days. Now, of course, Charles has married a divorced woman, Mm -hmm. but it's okay. So things have changed. Anything else that you wanted to say, uh, Melvin, about the article or anything that you wanted to add here? Uh, I can't think of anything else really, except uh, just to say that she'll be greatly missed, I think, when she's gone. I realize it's not going to be too long. And when she dies, immediately Charles becomes king. Uh, you know, if you want, if you want to change that, I mean, there's no way to change that, really, mm-hmm. unless Charles himself says, "I don't want to be king." Uh, famously, you know, when the queen dies, a town crier would come out on the walls of the castle and say, "The queen is dead. Long live the king." Mm-hmm. So it's an immediate transition. He takes over on the very day that she dies. Well, that's the way it was done in Denmark. You know, we took a canal tour and they had said the same kind of thing and they showed us exactly what window they said that from. So it's interesting. Yeah, a little aside on that. You know, if Germany had kept the same system after World War One, they may have avoided Adolf Hitler. Because you see in Germany, when the... Uh, the president died, nobody knew who was going to be his replacement. And Hitler stepped in and said he would take over completely. So he became the Fuhrer. Mm-hmm. And this cannot happen in the British system. There are so many members of the royal family that if Charles dies the same day as Elizabeth, then William would simply take over. You've got a, 
uh, a pre-ordered uh, uh, list of people who are going to be king. You know, something that's very interesting is that uh, Adolf Hitler could have, that could have been stopped if there was a kind of a monarchy. This shows the power of, of the monarchy in being able to block a particular move to keep bullies from coming in of the sort of Adolf Hitler. Yeah, that's right. And uh, that's often been pointed out with, with Hitler. It would have been very different. Well, Melvin, it's just been very, very enjoyable talking to you. Uh, I have really appreciated your insight, and uh, I thank you very much for doing this. Thank you.